Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we now turn our eyes to your word, we ask that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit and his presence with us and in us, that you would cause to transpire in this time exactly what you would have happen, and we would hear exactly what you would have us hear. For your glory, in the name of Jesus, amen. Our scripture this morning is Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Hear the word of the Lord. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statute, stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Last week, we took a diversion from our series looking at the Ephesian church. And before I pick up the series again with the text I just read, I want to review what we discussed last week. There were three main points. The first was that true, heartfelt repentance is actually unnecessary and we will be healthier if we avoid it completely. The second was that forgiveness, specifically forgiving others, is way overblown. <laughs> and we should just shake hands and repress all those grudges. And finally, that we are on this Christian journey by ourselves, orphans of a different father. And so it is each person for themselves and for goodness sake, don't help each other. 
Okay, I heard, a, I heard a not. Okay, you guys were paying attention last week. That is not what we talked about. But lest somebody walks out of here and thinks that we did, I'm going to recap what we actually talked about. True, heartfelt repentance is absolutely necessary. In fact, we as a church and we as individuals will be healthier if we repent and confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. That was the first one. The second one was that forgiveness, specifically forgiving others, is absolutely essential. And if we do not do it, we are limiting our experience of the complete and gracious forgiveness that God gives to us. And the third point, we are not on this Christian journey by ourselves. Or at least we should not be. In fact, we have the same Father, and we are united in the same Lord as part of the same body. And we can and should walk alongside each other, calling the wandering sibling home, helping the the faithful sibling remain faithful, and restoring the lost sibling who, who has come home. All of that ties in really well to what we're going to be looking at today from our passage, which is unity and walking out our faith. Our hope in looking at the Ephesian church and their experience has been to learn from their mistakes and avoid the rebuke that Jesus gave them in a letter he gave to John in the Revelation. He said that they had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten him. Paul has just concluded the first half of the letter to the Ephesians by praying that our brothers and sisters in Ephesus would grasp the love of Christ, his love for us. That is beyond comprehension without the help of God himself because it is so big, so wide, so great, We need the help of God himself to actually understand how much he loves us. That is what the Ephesian church forgot. We do not want to forget that. Today, our our text shifts from the foundational teachings of the faith, which Paul has been addressing, to a focus on living it all out, to, to living out who we are as this loved body of Christ. So far, Paul has told them, and he's told us, who are followers of Jesus, that we are saints, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that God chose us before the foundation of the world. We're adopted as children of God. We're redeemed. We're made new. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We're His body. We're no longer dead in our sins, but He's raised us to life. This is who we are. We're loved immeasurably. We're brought near to Him and to each other. We're saved by grace through faith. And I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff He covered in those first three chapters, and I could go on. That's who we are. 
Beginning with chapter 4, though, the focus becomes, what does it look like when we are actually behaving like who we really are? And what does it really look like for us to be His church, His body? In verses 4, 1 to 6, He tells us. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's notable that Paul starts off by reminding them that he is a prisoner for the Lord. This is a, a statement of fact related to his current situation, which he's already addressed earlier in the letter. He, he is a prisoner in Rome. More important, though, is that he is a prisoner for the Lord. Paul is making a point. Regardless of his circumstances, he knows who he is and his purpose. Circumstances don't define him. Who he belongs to does. I was talking with someone the other day who had concluded that he will not follow Christ anymore because he had called on him for help and didn't answer him the way he liked it. How totally different it is for Paul. Paul knew who he was, and he knew Jesus was his Lord, and for him nothing changes or can change that, including his circumstances. Not that being in a prison is something that one would normally want, but the way Paul sees it, it's almost a badge of honor because it's a consequence of his serving the Lord. The point. Paul starts off this section about living out who we are with this example, reminding us that we are not to let our current situation dictate who we are or what we think. But we are to let our relationship with the Lord define us and provide meaning to our circumstances. Paul also wrote, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Paul knew he was called according to God's purposes from before the foundation of the world. And he had just finished telling the Ephesians, who he's writing this letter to, and who he's about to tell, this is what it looks like when you're actually being who you are. He had just finished telling the Ephesian Christians that they were too. And the same is true for us. Circumstances do not and cannot dictate who we are but rather who we are should be what provides meaning to our circumstances. And that's a really important thing to keep straight. 
Paul then springboards from the reminder to calling them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called, to be who they are. Absolutely, they are as the church, and they they should never forget that they are deeply loved by Christ beyond comprehension, or that they are called and made His body. They need to remember that, or any of the other things He has already told them. So He's not letting up on, on any of that. But here's the shift. They are also to walk accordingly. He's telling them they need to live it out. Paul does not tell them this will be in a fancy house or wealthy or healthy or successful in the world's eyes or happy or without suffering. He tells them that it will be with humility and gentleness and patience and by bearing with one another. And the final thing that that really stands out because of the modifying word, word eager They will be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So what does it look like when we're walking out who we really are? It looks like that. It is important to note that Paul is telling them, or telling us, to walk in this manner. And walk is a directive that involves volition. Standing is passive. Walking is active. When you're moving by choice, you are walking. He is not telling them to be passively humble or to stand still and be gentle or to do nothing patiently or to coincidentally bear with others in love or to pretend to be eager to maintain the unity of peace. He is telling them to do it, to be that way. He is telling them to choose those things and live it out, which on our own would be impossible. Paul is not telling fallen men and women, separated from God and His promises, dead in their sins, to behave like this. He's telling children of God who have been filled with the Holy Spirit to live out who and what they are really are and what, they're, what they've become. And it involves some effort and some choice. Let me give an example. With all patience. When you're confronted with a situation where you can either be patient or impatient, if you are a believer in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, the experience is that you will have a choice between the two. Now, I'm not talking about the Looney Tune concepts with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. That's a spinoff from Freud's id and ego, which is not biblical. However, that idea is actually closer to the truth than the too common belief that we're either, even after being born again, that we're still all evil or the other one, that we're all good. Both of those are complete errors or or delusions at, at best. The fact is that we are still in the flesh, and, and the struggle between being patient or impatient is real, and one that we, we have to decide between. As a born-again person with the Spirit of Christ in us, 
we know what we are supposed to do. And we know what is right. And not because of some law or lesson or some little angel on our shoulder. We know because that's who we are in Christ. We are different from the unregenerate. When it comes down to it, your born-again nature has been and is being conformed to the image of Christ, who is patient. And being patient is consistent with who you really are. The Holy Spirit is in us, and He is the source of our life. The decision to be patient is not a choice between good or bad. It's a submissive decision, not to the world or to the law or to some guilt-driven framework, but to who we really are. And when, and when we're impatient, we feel bad, not because we're going to go to hell, but because we know it's just not who we are. The point, Paul is calling them, calling us, to be who we are and to live accordingly, born-again, spirit-filled, spirit-led followers of Jesus. That's who we are. He is not telling us to pretend to be humble and gentle, nor is He demanding that we force ourselves to do something contrary to our new nature. He is not telling us to come under the curse of the law again, and He is not guilting us into such behavior. He is telling us to be and to choose to be who we are with Christ in us, our hope of glory, born again, children of God, filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Next week, Paul will remind us of who and what we are not. But now he is fundamentally calling them and us to simply be who we are. And he tells them, to live and walk accordingly. And then he clarifies a very encompassing reality. They are part of one body and one spirit. Not two, not me and you, not your way and my way. No, one body. And we're all part of it. And one spirit not my inner light and your inner light, and I really hope they align with each other and we get along. No, one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, one source. And he says, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. He's saying, remember, we believe the same thing. Remember being called to Jesus? It is to one Lord, one commitment our commitment to Him means we should walk in a manner that matches the fact that we are all called to the same Lord, united in the same Spirit, and we have the same faith, the faith that saves us by the grace of God. Not you are saved one way, I am saved another, and we'll each do our own thing. We are saved by the same faith in the same Jesus and made alive by that same faith and united in that same faith. And one baptism, the sign of our being born again and of the work that our Lord has wrought in us and of the same salvation and the same spirit 
and one father of us all. We are siblings, the same familiar heir, familial heirs of the same father. In a way, you can almost hear Paul getting ramped up in this section as he's emphasizing our unity. We are united. We are one and we should show it. And then he says of God that our God, who is the father of us all, is over all and through all and in all. And this is not some statement that God is in the trees and the rocks, though some people might want to interpret it that way. Paul is saying that God, God omniscient, that he is the one that is our source and the reason for our unity. He is in us, and he makes us all one. Paul is telling our brothers and sisters in Ephesus to be who they are, to realize their unity, to remember who has made them one, and to walk out this unity and faith accordingly. We need to do the same. And then Paul shifts again. Now he tells us how God makes it possible for this unity to continue and grow. Let me read verses 7 to 11. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. One commentator refers to this section as the provisions for the body. That was the heading of their section. The operative idea in this section is that Christ not only has made us united, but he has given us gifts to help us live out that unity. Paul, Paul starts off referring to Christ's gifts and then quotes from a psalm. And then in verse 11, Paul goes back to Christ's gifts. Not just ministries, but actually gifts of people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, we could easily camp out here and, and, and talk about these gifts or the psalms that, that he was, the psalm he was quoting, which is basically making the point of the universality of God's presence and the, the extension of his gifts to us. Or we could look at how this list, list of gifts compares to the one in 1 Corinthians. Or I mean, there's plenty more we could do. But the point is, why does Christ give those gifts? And that picks up in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ gives us gifts to equip us for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, until we grow and mature 
into the fullness of Christ. Which according to the prior chapter is directly the outcome of understanding the love of Christ for us. He gives us gifts so that we would be united in the knowledge of the Son of God, that we would ooze Christ to the world by being His church, which was, as discussed in the prior chapters, God's plan all along the church. Christ gives us gifts so that we will be united as His body, manifesting Him to the world. And He goes on, and the challenge gets harder. So that we may no longer... Be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In order for this to happen, we can no longer be infants, vulnerable to all kinds of things. We need to grow up. I am still the same Kevin that I was when I was three months old. But I have grown up. And I am much more capable of all kinds of things, such as feeding myself, which I'm pretty good at, and, and no longer being entirely dependent on others for my well-being or growth. He is saying that we need to grow up. And candidly, we all know what this means, among other things. It means knowing our scriptures. It means praying. That's how we will grow. We need to do that. We need to not remain infants in our faith. We need to take advantage of the the gifts and people God has provided to help us grow. And we need to grow with the result that we will become even more of what we are, which is His body connected to His head, to to the head, to, to Jesus, And we will truly be functioning as the body of Christ that will continue to grow as we speak truth and love and continue to build itself and it will continue to build itself up. We are to walk in a manner worthy of who we are. We are to be unified because we are united with one faith and Father and Lord who has given us gifts to help us be who we are. And we need to grow up, not remain infants who are vulnerable to all kinds of craftiness and deceitful schemes. And then we will speak truth in love, which takes us back to the three things from last week. We will repent and confess our sins one to another. We will forgive each other. And we will walk alongside each other. And we will grow in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together. 
all of this undermines that we are on our this we are on our own mindset that frequently appears in our lives and our spiritual journey. We are not on our own. You are connected to other believers. And as you mature, others in the body benefit. And as others in the body mature, you benefit. And the whole body matures. And more love happens. And we actually look and behave more like what we really are, the body of Christ. I have one more suggestion. And it goes back to something that we've been discussing from the beginning of this series and in which I've already mentioned in the, this message. It has to do with remembering our first love, Christ, and his love for us. If we let the reality of Christ's love for us resonate in our lives, we will want to grow and not stand still. We will want to walk, and we'll even want to help those more challenging members of the body who are not always the easiest to connect with or even like. When we, when we think of Christ's love for us, we can't help but think of his love for those folks as well. And we will want to help them grow as we will want to grow ourselves for the benefit of the entire body. And then, and I'm going to quote again from the end of our text, we will all grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And this is important. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is the message Paul is telling these brothers and sisters in Ephesus after telling them who they were for the last three chapters. And he's telling it to us as well. And so it's, our, so it's the word to us today. We, we need to remember who we are in Christ. And we need to live accordingly. And we need to eagerly desire true unity with others who are part of Christ's body. And we need to grow by taking advantage of the gifts he's given to us. For the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. Please pray with me. Father, that you would call us and redeem us and make us new, and give us the privilege of being one with you and with each other. We are, we are thankful. And we ask for your forgiveness when we get distracted and pursue other things. Help us, Lord, to be who we are, who you have made us, and who you are making us for your glory and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen.